Would you please take the word of God with me and turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And as you are turning in the Holy Scriptures in Acts chapter 9, we've looked at a good uh, history of the church. And I hope that our desire as we live in the 21st century and we look at the first century that we would have a desire to say, May we be just like these people. Now there are good examples and there are bad examples. For example, Ananias and Sapphira. That's not a good example. But it's nonetheless an example for us. And um, we've seen that after the stoning of Stephen that persecution has arisen against the church. Uh, It's been pretty severe. We've read some of the details there. And uh, we see that uh, the one who was the first... Uh, most vehement proponent of that persecution was was a man by the name of Saul. In Acts chapter 9, we find uh, that he is interrupted by the Lord Jesus Christ on his way to Damascus. And uh, we've read about, in verse 1 and 2 of Acts 9, about the seriousness of Saul's opposition against the disciples of the Lord. Up to this point, Saul had dedicated himself to persecuting the church from the dragging of men and women from their own homes to the beatings in the synagogues, the Bible summarizes that he made havoc of the church. And in Acts 9, he is on his way to Damascus, and Saul is interrupted by a light from heaven, and that light being Jesus Christ himself, confronting this man for his severe persecution of those that believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And through this encounter, Saul would recognize two truths. The first one is that Jesus Christ is the Lord. That would be the answer to this first question. Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. And the second thing that Paul would realize is that since Jesus Christ is Lord, then he is worthy to be served. He would ask, what what shall thou have me to do? And upon this encounter, Saul is commanded to go to Damascus and wait there until he is told what to do. And Saul would remain blind for three days with no food or drink. He would spend these three days in prayer awaiting the next step for him to take. And during this time of waiting, the Lord speaks to a certain disciple named Ananias. Ananias is commanded to go and see Saul of Tarsus uh, to help him recover his sight and to give Saul some special instruction. The instruction would be twofold. First of all, that Saul would be a vessel to bear the name of Jesus Christ. And secondly, the second part of the message was that Saul would suffer great things for the name of Jesus Christ. Now think about what that message would mean to Ananias. You think two things would make this servant Ananias of the Lord uncomfortable. First of all, he would have to go go to Saul, who is a persecutor of the church. And then secondly, he would need to communicate to Saul a message that would be difficult to deliver, namely this, that there is suffering to come in your life, Saul. That's the message. And yet that's what Ananias did. And now we continue where we left things off in Acts 9. Notice verse 17. And Ananias went his way, 
and entered into the house and putting his hands on, on, uh, on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, arose, and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Uh, then was saw certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem? And come hither, uh, and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests. But Saul increased the more in strength, and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying await uh, was known of Saul, and they watched the gate day and night. To kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. I want to stop there for now, but I would like to bring your attention back to verse 17. Ananias arises and he goes to the house, and notice as he comes to Saul of Tarsus. Now we've read about this man, and I'm not going to reiterate, but he has been a strong persecutor of the church. And Ananias put his hands on Saul and says this, Brother Saul. Think about that. Uh, note that these two words are endearing words. Brother Saul. Later in his letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, uh, Paul would write and he would refer to himself as a blasphemer. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 uh, Paul recounts his testimony and he says this, he says, I, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me that he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer. And so Saul, who was once a blasphemer in Acts chapter 9, became a brother. And so I would like to preach a message that I have entitled From Blasphemer to Brother. And I want to ask this question, how does that happen? How can a man who was once a persecutor of those who preached Christ become a preacher of Christ himself? That would be completely different. And so from a blasphemer to a, a brother, I believe that when we think about this, we think about the words of Paul himself as he wrote to the church at Rome. If you turn with me to Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, Paul speaks concerning the gospel. And he mentions the gospel in chapter 1. Notice verse 16. He writes and he says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. In other words, there is no shame to talk about the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that after three days he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. Uh, we should not be ashamed of that. Now, why is that? He says this, because for it is the gospel, the power of God unto salvation 
to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, for therein in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. How does one go from being a blasphemer to becoming a brother? And the answer is rather simple, the gospel. The gospel. The gospel that is the power of God unto salvation, the gospel that means that righteousness is applied to the guilty. What changed in the lives of, if you read Acts chapter 2, what changed in the lives of 3,000 souls in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost that caused them to be baptized and to be added to the church and to continue in the apostles' doctrine and in prayer and in fellowship and in breaking of bread? What caused that change in those people's lives? What caused the change in the lives of those 3,000 souls on the day of Pentecost who just uh, uh, some days before had shouted, crucify him? What changed the gospel, the power of God? What changed in the lives of the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8 when uh, Philip went about and he, he preached? What is it that caused these people to also believe and be baptized and to continue in the doctrine, the gospel? What changed here in the life of Saul in Acts 9? The gospel. And what is still changing lives today? The gospel. Now, what is the gospel? That's a good question. Paul said in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Uh, but what is the gospel? If, if you would uh, narrow it down to just a few things, we'd have to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul defines this gospel that he preached unto them. In 1 Corinthians 15, notice with me verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach unto you, which also ye received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. So notice this gospel was preached, it was received, that's where they stand. This is the gospel that saves. Notice if you keep in memory, verse 2, what I preach unto you, unless ye have believed in vain, verse 3, for I delivered unto you first, so here it is, here's the gospel, of all that which I receive, also I receive, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Verse 4, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time, for I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God... I am what I am, and this grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Paul would say here that he is preaching the gospel. What is the gospel? That Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. 
that he was buried and that he rose again. And Paul goes on to say that I was a persecutor of that way. I was a persecutor of that message. I tried to silence the message, but then the grace of God stepped in. The gospel. The gospel is what made Saul become, who was a blasphemer, become a brother. I would like to for us to take note of how Jesus Christ transformed the life of a man who was a blasphemer to becoming a brother. As we go back to Acts chapter 9 and we continue in our study of this chapter and look at the change there would be here, we're going to see a pause after Paul goes or Saul goes to Jerusalem. We're going to see a pause and then we... we uh, there's a refocus on the ministry of Peter uh, by the end of Acts chapter 9, 10, 11, and 12. And we would not read of Saul again until Acts chapter 13, when at that time he was at the church of Antioch and he would be sent out there on his uh, first missionary journey. And so this is a pause where we find here uh, in the ministry of Peter what was going on in Jerusalem and the, uh, the interruption in the life of one man, which was Saul. And so what we find here, first of all, is we find a change in identity. If we read, notice, when Ananias comes into the house in verse 17, he puts his hands on him and he calls him Brother Saul. In other words, when we read about the name Saul, and by the word we would, if you would read a few chapters later in Acts chapter 13 verse 9, Saul is mentioned as Saul all the way up to Acts chapter 13 verse 9, and then the Bible says who is also called Paul. And then from Acts 13.9 on, he would always be referred to as Paul. The only times that he would be referred to as Saul was when Paul gives the testimony about himself and recounts what happened and refers to himself as Saul at that time. But from that point onward, uh, we'll see later in Acts 13 that uh, Saul would always be called Paul through the remainder of the book of Acts. And the only times, again, he would refer to uh, Saul would be when he recounts his testimony. But here we're looking at, at Saul and it seems that there's a change because um, Ananias has already had a discussion with the Lord when he told him to go to Saul. Uh, Ananias knew who Saul was. He knew uh, why Saul was heading to Damascus to imprison people, to beat people in the synagogue. He had heard about that, but yet he comes into the room and he would not refer here to this man as Saul the blasphemer or Saul the persecutor or Saul the injurious, the angry man, but he uh, refers to him as a brother. Before then, uh, Saul could not have been referred to as a brother. But now he is referred to as a brother. And I want us to notice several things about the change in his identity. First of all, we see his personal acceptance. In verse 17, Ananias refers to Saul as his brother. When Ananias entered the house, he put his hands on Saul and called him brother Saul. These were words of acceptance. Saul, who was an adversary, is now... A brother, And we know that the term brother is a reference, uh, if we think about it in the physical sense, to a family member. You know, I had the joy of growing up with um, among uh, four brothers, and I identified with a brotherhood by birth of the same mother. 
And so part of that brotherhood, we find that it, it meant something uh, very uh, special. Uh, we, <coughs> seems like, uh, looking back at, at our lives, that we were uh, really angry at each other probably every day, uh, fighting, wrestling, arguing, and now I'm reaping the things I've sold with my own children. I found, well, that uh, seems that that's the way it always goes. Uh, but if something happened, if anybody came in the midst of our family and maybe uh, insulted my brother or tried to wrestle with my brother, something happened within me. As much as I wrestled and fought with my brother, you don't touch my brother. Right? Why? Because he's my brother. He, he's my family. We're part of this brotherhood and uh, nobody steps in. I remember uh, as uh, we went through the grades through schools that uh, occasionally we would be uh, with each other in the same school. And you know what would happen often is uh, when there was conflict between different people, which typically happens in school, uh, people would say something like this, well, uh, don't mess with Sam, he's got an older brother. And so we're part of this brother. In other words, it means that there is a relationship and that brotherhood is, is, is special. It speaks of acceptance. In other words, it is a place where we are accepted among each other and those who are outside are not accepted in the same way in that brotherhood. And so in this case here, Ananias identifies Saul as a brother by spiritual birth. You see, Saul, who was once seen as an outsider, is now accepted in the Beloved. According to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, through Christ, the Bible says, we are accepted in the Beloved. What is that? The brotherhood that we have. In other words, we have this bond through our Lord Jesus Christ. Later, when Saul arrives in Jerusalem, if you notice in Acts 9, verse 26, notice what happens. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. And so here we see that the disciples, when he goes to Jerusalem, they refuse him. Why did they refuse him? The Bible says they did not believe that he was a disciple. Now, what made the difference? If you notice, verse 27, but Barnabas took him. You see what happens there? Um, what made the difference was that Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Uh, this was another gesture, just like Ananias, another gesture of acceptance. Saul should be accepted. Uh, he says he brings them to the apostles. Saul should be accepted. Why? Because he is part of the family. He wasn't part of the family, but now he is part of the family. In other words, his identity has changed in that we see his personal acceptance. This acceptance would always be overwhelming to Saul. You know, when it came to his apostleship, we refer to Saul as the apostle to the Gentiles. When it, it came to his apostleship, uh, Paul called himself the least of the apostles. In 1 Corinthians 59, we just read it just a moment ago. When it came to his ministry, he called himself less than the least of all the saints. And when it came to his salvation, he called himself the chief of sinners. You see, if there was a, a rank of sinners, and there's not in this world, if there was a rank, Saul saw himself to be at the top of the hierarchy, the chief of sinners. But yet here, when Ananias comes in the room, 
He puts his hands on him and says, Brother Saul. When he goes to Jerusalem and seeks to join himself to the apostles, uh, they refuse him, they reject him, because they didn't think he really believed. But Barnabas takes him in and he brings them. That is personal acceptance. He is part of the brotherhood. He has a new identity. And when you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, guess what? You have a new identity, and yes, you are part of a brotherhood. Sisterhood, too. So we see here his personal acceptance. But also we, what we notice in, back in Acts 9 is we see his public association. Now notice in Acts 9, we keep reading verse 18. The Bible says, And immediately there fell from his eyes that had been scales, and he received, received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. Now, I want you to notice here the word immediately at the beginning of verse 18. The, the word immediately means straightway, forthwith, as soon as. That's what the word means. Uh, so what happened? Well, we read in verse 18, he received sight. The, the scales came off and he could see again. Uh, we could say that that was a great miracle. He, had, he could not see for three days. And uh, anybody that understands if you've lost sight for any amount of time, if you've been down deep in a cave that is completely dark, you can't see the hand in front of you, it, there is really uh, an uncomfortableness about it, particularly when you're uh, not living like that. And But this is a great miracle. Uh, he was blind for three days, but this would be a time we, we would think to, to celebrate such a dramatic change. I can see, I can see. However, when Saul arose, Scripture tells us he was baptized. Immediately. Notice the verse. Immediately there fell from, uh, fell from his eyes, as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose, and was baptized. If we read Acts 22.16, when Saul recounts his testimony, we see that it was Ananias that instructed Saul to be baptized. This baptism, by the way, was immediate. Uh, what is the significance of baptism? Well, uh, a baptism is a, basically a public identifying with Jesus Christ. Uh, it is a, a public statement. Uh, he has been personally accepted. He is already a brother that has nothing to do with the baptism, but uh, Ananias comes and he says, you need to be baptized. And immediately when he receives sight, he takes the step of publicly identifying and associating himself with Jesus Christ. When we think about baptism and we look at the tradition of those days before the time of John the Baptist and even Jesus Christ, before those early baptisms, if a person wanted to convert to Judaism, one of the rituals they had to fulfill was to be baptized. Now, that really began after the Babylonian captivity. It is not true of all of Jew Jewish history, but after the Babylonian captivity, they began to practice this. And basically, immersion represented, if you would, converting to Judaism, it represented a change in status by a basically a purification, a restoration, and a qualification for religious participation in the Jewish community. However, this baptism is different. Because Saul would be familiar with uh, uh, with uh, someone who was not a Jew by birth, who would, would want to become part of the uh, Judaic religion, but they would have to go through the waters of baptism. But here Saul uh, is going to be baptized. This would be a big step for him. This would be a big deal. 
You see, because uh, Jews were not baptized, that was for uh, those who were heathen. But now he who is a Pharisee, a Jew, a Hebrew of the Hebrew, now he is going to publicly identify through the waters of baptism with who? With Jesus Christ. You see, this baptism is in the name of Jesus Christ, which means a public identification with Jesus Christ. This baptism of Saul was a public declaration of association, not with a religion, but with a person. With Christ. If you turn with me to Romans 10, uh, Paul, as he pens the words under the inspiration of the Spirit to the believers at Rome, in Romans chapter 10, if you notice with me in verse 9, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, we're talking here about confessing the Lord Jesus Christ with our mouth, but notice what he says. Romans 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So salvation is something that happens within. It is not something that happens without. It is a transformation from within. Uh, in the heart man believes unto righteousness, and uh, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Notice in verse 12, or verse 11, For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. In other words, there is a public declaration that follows the inward transformation that's happened in the life of an individual where they are not ashamed to identify with Jesus Christ. And namely, that is the best way to do that is through the waters of baptism to say, I publicly identified with my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and His uh, forgiveness uh, that He offers me of my sin. It's interesting here that uh, Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 8 and Isaiah 28. Notice the Bible says in Romans 10, 11, For the Scripture saith. Now what is he quoting? Let's go back to Isaiah 8, if you turn with me. Isaiah chapter 8. Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth the Lamb shall not be ashamed. Notice uh, Isaiah chapter 8. And... Um, Excuse me, Isaiah 28. I said 8, right? 28. Isaiah 28. Notice verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion, uh, I lay in Zion a, 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 for a foundation stone, a tri-stone, a precious stone, a sure foundation, and he that believeth shall not make haste. Uh, judgment also will I lay uh, to the line, and righteousness to the plummet, and the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies, and the water shall overflow the hiding place. Notice in verse 16, he's talking about here that in Zion there is a foundation, uh, for a foundation of stone, tried a precious stone, a sure foundation, he that believeth shall not make haste. That is the same idea of not being ashamed. Uh, what is the stone? That is Christ. He would say earlier in Isaiah 8, that's where we were earlier in Isaiah chapter 8, notice with me verse 14, He shall be for a sanctuary 
but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel and for, uh, uh, again, uh, for a snare for the inhabitants of uh, Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus Christ, when He comes uh, uh, on the scene, He would be a rock of offense and a stone of stumbling. In other words, the one who came for their redemption would be someone that they would be offended by. Uh, Romans 9 would uh, tell us the same thing in Romans 9 verse 30. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have obtained to righteousness, have attained to righteousness even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, verse 31 of Romans 9, which followed after the law of righteousness hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And so the prophet Isaiah announced the stone of stumbling who would be an offense to the nation of Israel. And he said, But those who believe, however, would stand on the opposite side, would not be ashamed. And so on the one end you have those when Jesus Christ comes and He presents Himself as the Messiah, the, the stumbling stone, they are offended at Him, but the people who look at the same stone, Jesus Christ, are not ashamed when they believe on Him. You see, the one who to some was offensive, as it was for Saul before his salvation, he was offended at Christ. But now Saul in his baptism is not ashamed to be identified with Christ, the one by whom he was offended. If you remember uh, back, if you return to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4, you remember when Peter was talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, they were uh, telling them not to teach and to preach in this name. They were offended by that name of Jesus Christ. And in Acts chapter 4 verse 10, uh, Peter says this when they ask him, by, by what name or by what authority or power do you do those things? And Peter answers that and he says this in Acts 4 verse 10, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. They were offended at that stone. They rejected that stone. But by his death, he became the head of the corner, the cornerstone. And then he would say this in verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. By the way, here Peter quotes from Psalm 118 verse, uh, verse 22 when the Bible says the stone which the builders refused is become the head of the corner. You see, Jesus Christ Himself, even in a prophetic statement in Matthew 21, 42 says this, Did ye never read in the Scripture the stone which the builders rejected is the same become the head of the corner? Referring to himself. So it is interesting here that Saul, who has now been personally accepted in this brotherhood, is now asked by Ananias to go and to be baptized, and immediately, 
without hesitation, he takes the step of publicly identifying with Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know where the men are. The Bible doesn't say. Where are those men that accompanied Saul? There's a group of men. If you remember, after Saul was blind, the other men recovered their sight and they led him by the hand to Damascus. We don't know what happened to these men, but it is conceivable to think that these men were there all along with Saul on that special assignment. And now uh, Saul is going to uh, make a statement before those to whom he came to persecute and before those who were standing behind, b with him against those, uh, those who were being persecuted. And now he's going to rise up. There's going to be a group that's going to follow him and he is going to be baptized. He is going to publicly identify with Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is not ashamed of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism, it is the first step of obedience. And if that's something that you've never done, then you need to submit yourself to the Lord and publicly identify unashamedly, unashamedly identifying with your Savior. That's from a blasphemer to a brother. So we see here uh, the change in identity. We see a, uh, his personal acceptance. We see his public association. But thirdly, uh, I want you to notice with me, we see his passionate announcement. If we go back to Acts 9, notice with me verse 20. Acts 9 verse 20. The Bible says, well, look at verse 19. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Now, it's interesting he was baptized before he ate. He hadn't eaten in three days. You think that there would be a priority of eating. No, no, the priority was identifying with Christ. Then he ate. Then he was strengthened. Then was saw certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. We'll talk about how long he spent at Damascus before he went to Jerusalem. And then in verse 20, the Bible says, And straightway, that means just, just like you had the word in 18, immediately, he was baptized straightway after what? After he was baptized, after he received meat, immediately straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he, that is Christ, is the Son of God. You see what his change in identity, identity produced in the life of Saul? Personal acceptance. Public association and a passionate announcement as to what happened in his life. You see, Saul is familiar with the name of Jesus Christ. He has been antagonist to all those who claim Christ. And you remember Saul would go, what we read earlier, he would go from synagogue to synagogue to synagogue and he would beat those who would announce that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He would beat them, the Bible says, in every synagogue. He would drag people out of their house. He would probably associate with someone and say, do you, do you claim Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you believe in the name of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that He is the Son of God? And if anybody believed in that way, He imprisoned them, He beat them, He dragged them out of their house. And now that His life has changed because of the power of the Gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ in His life, He publicly identifies through baptism, but then He makes a passionate announcement. So that everybody knows what, what's happened in his life. Jesus Christ is 
the Son of God. The Bible goes on to say in verse 21, But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which were called on this name in Jerusalem and come hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? The people are confused. They're amazed. They're like, wait a minute. What's happened to this man? We know what happened. Jesus Christ happened. That's what happened to this man. The people are, are confused. You know, that, that's what often happens in the world. You get saved. And those of you who uh, grew up maybe not in a Christian home and you, the Lord changes your life and, and you're in that environment and now God has changed your life and now people who maybe used to look at you as some normal person, now they look at you and they're like, this is strange what's happened. This, this is a phenomenon. What is it that's happened? Jesus Christ happened. The gospel happened. Their lives have been changed. So we see uh, the people were confused. We see even the Jews were confounded in verse 22. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. In other words, they, they, there was nothing for them to say, much like Stephen, much like Philip, much like those earlier preachers that Saul used to stand against. Now he's preaching the same thing and the Jews are confounded. They have nothing to say. Their mouth are stopped. In other words, what the Bible says is Saul was proving unequivocally that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And they were confounded. They had nothing to say. Uh, Saul did have an advantage being a Pharisee. He committed to memory most likely the first five books of the Old Testament. So scripture that was in his mind now came to life as soon as he understood who Jesus Christ was. And so it was nothing for him to straightway preach Jesus Christ. Often well, you know what, that doesn't happen in my life. Well, uh, most likely you didn't grow up memorizing the first five books of the Bible and having that knowledge that's already there. But now being equipped with that, he proves to them and the Jews are confounded. But notice what happens. Verse 23. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. What a reversal. This is the man who gave his voice for Christians to be killed. And now the same group of people that he used to associate with to conspire against Christians is now the same man who is being conspired against because he identifies with Jesus Christ. You see, what, is, what has happened? Well, and I'll just sum her up and I'm done here, but we find a change in identity a change in ministry, but also lastly, we find a change in priority. You see, the only way that this man, who used to do what he did, would now be willing to be the recipient of the same treatment is if something happened in his life. We read on, the Bible says in verse 24 and 25, but their laying wait was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. That's how passionate they were. They were waiting at the gate. Right? There's one entrance out. Whatever, all the entrances we have, let's cover all of them in Damascus. Typically, most of those were walled cities. Just like Jerusalem, there would be just certain gates that, were, uh, that people would come in and out of. And uh, obviously, all of those entrances were guarded. They were waiting to, to find Saul, where he was. The Bible says that he, he knew that. It was known of Saul. He knew what was going on. No doubt he had done the same thing. And the Bible says in verse 25, 
Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. Do you see the picture? The one who came to kill them is now the same man they're helping. Why? Because his identity has changed. His ministry has changed. And his priority has changed. He, just like Silas, he was willing to have his life hazarded for the cause of Christ. How does that happen? By the power of the gospel. See, often people say, well, you know, what's, what's with you Christians? Well, why, why, are you, you, why do you do what you do? And, why, and I, I, I'm sure I could bring one after the other. And those of you who came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you could all stand there and you would all pretty much say the same thing, although different circumstances. Jesus Christ changed my life. This is where I was going. That's the direction I was heading. And then Jesus Christ came in and my life changed. You were accepted in the brotherhood. You've made a public statement of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've uh, made sure to announce the Lord Jesus Christ and you find that people are, are puzzled. What is it that's happened? And that's the mystery of the gospel, if you would. And so let's ask the Lord to help us. Perhaps I think often we may get to the place where we've been Christians long enough and then we, we, we feel that we, can, we need to become more reserved well, you know, I, I did that once. You know, the public testimony, I did that once. That's, that should be good enough. Well, what about now? Are we announcing Christ? Are we declaring who He is? Are we declaring the change that He has brought about in our lives? And so, may the Lord help us with those truths to see the change in the life of, the, uh, of Saul.